What do you need to know before getting breast augmentation? Dr. West is here to answer just that. I'm Anita, and this is Care Experts. Today we're talking about breast augmentation with board-certified plastic surgeon, Dr. Justin West of Cosmetic Care. Thank you so much, Dr. West, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so can you first tell me what is a breast augmentation? Breast augmentation is the placement of breast implants. That could be saline implants, it could be silicone implants, but that's the idea, is putting breast implants into somebody for enhancement. So how is this different than a breast lift? Breast lift is basically rearranging tissues. So somebody will come in, maybe they like the way their breasts look in a bra, but when they unhook their bra and their breasts drop, they're in a position they don't like. Okay. Uh, and so they're wanting to restore a more youthful look. So in those situations, we're basically just taking existing tissue, the volume that they have, and rearranging it to a higher position as opposed to adding volume through an implant. So what are the benefits of breast augmentation? I guess you kind of answered that question a little bit. Well, I mean, I think that from a you know patient's point of view, the, the questions they ask or the pain points that they express, you know, the anxiety that they express about, you know, what's bothering them leading up to a consultation, it tends to focus honestly on how they fit into clothes. For the vast majority of patients, uh, they're coming in and say, I can't fit into bathing suits I want to fit into. I can't wear the type of dresses. I can't wear strapless dresses. So really, um, it's about changing their body in a way that allows them to wear the clothes like their friends do. Yeah. Um, you know, for some, it's about confidence. You know, for some, it's about feeling more feminine. So there's a whole range of reasons, but I would say fitting into clothes tends to be one of the, the number one issues for patients. So does it need to be a certain size to even qualify for a breast augmentation? You, you see a wide variety of patients. We have patients who come in that are really thin. They have very little breast tissue, very little fatty tissue, and they're almost you know, skin on bone. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have patients who come in with really a, a substantial breast volume, but maybe the volume is not distributed the way they want to. So there's nothing that, there's no sort of uh, litmus test say this is what makes you a patient or not. Really what it comes down to is how are you presenting and then how can we put together a plan to help you achieve the goal that you have in mind? I know a lot of patients are wondering about what the recovery process is like and is it gonna be uncomfortable or painful? Yeah, uh, you know, it's different for everybody, but I would say in general, most patients are really pleasantly surprised by how well they do. Um, they're, they come in expecting a lot of discomfort, but you know, these days we take a lot of steps to, to minimize patients' discomfort. You know, we use a lot of local anesthesia so that people wake up feeling really comfortable. People are sent home with a variety of either narcotic and non-narcotic medication. It's really become a huge emphasis in the last decade about, you know, patient comfort with procedures. Would there be any scarring or any kind of nerve damage afterwards that they would need to be aware of? So good question. So everybody thinks, I think there's this perception that in plastic surgery, we somehow magically do things without scars. Yeah. We don't have ones. We have scalpels, that's how it works. Um, but what we do is we make a, a lot of effort in terms of planning the placement of those incisions to make them as invisible as possible. So, you know, if you were to get on a website like ours and look through our breast augmentation gallery, for a lot of those patients, you can't tell where the scars are. And quite frankly, what we'll patients who come in year after surgery will, will say, okay, how did we do your surgery? Where's your scar? If we don't have a chance to read the chart in advance, yeah. because the scars can heal really well. So I think that like anything, you know, if you plan well, you can have nice camouflage scars. Then there's steps that we take, you know, we use silicone and, and a lot of other products to try to mitigate the impact of scars, but there's always scar. Um, the other question you asked was about nerve damage. Mm -hmm. So anytime we enter tissue, there's, we, we're going through nerves to some degree. Now we have a sense of where those nerves are running, but everybody's anatomy is different from person to person. Uh, we take a lot of steps to try to avoid direct nerve injury, especially when we can see them. Um, and we, we use maneuvers to try to mitigate 
nerve damage. But I would say for the question that this ends up usually leading to is nipple sensation. So pa patients will ask, if I have implants placed, will I still be able to have nipple sensation? And for the vast majority of patients, you know, it's, it can be absolutely normal. Mm -hmm. People have said they get that the average patient keeps about 75% of normal of their nipple sensation. Uh, but for some, it's totally normal afterwards. So uh, again, you see a, a wide range of impacts from surgery, but you know, it's one of those things we paid a lot of attention to so that patients can feel not only look better, but feel yeah. good too. Are there any cons to breast augmentation surgery? I know you mentioned maybe minimal scarring, but anything else? Well, I think that, you know, like a lot of things, when we when we put a, an implant in, it is there's not a lifetime guarantee that you're gonna keep that implant. I think of it like buying a car. Very few people have the luxury of buying a car and keeping that car throughout their entire lifetime. So it usually means you're setting yourself up for needing surgery down the road. Fortunately, you know, the average patient gets at least 10 years out of their um, their first surgery, out of their first implants. So I guess if there's a con, it's, it's signing up for what could be a lifetime of little revision procedures over time. Can you tell me the difference between saline and silicone implants? Sure, it comes up all the time. So both implants have a silicone shell. The question is, what do you want inside of that? So the two options are saline or silicone. Saline comes, it's the stuff that we put in those implants is the same that would go in your IV. Mm -hmm. It's just a sterile fluid, essentially. Um, a benefit of that is that we can put it as much as we want to, so we can sort of titrate it to like the very specific look that a patient's going for, um, which is a perceived benefit, but the truth is there are so many different pre-filled silicone implants that you can kind of get any result you want also. So um, the pros and cons, saline are less expensive, and if they rupture, you know, because a saline implant will go from full to basically fully collapsed within 24 hours for most patients. Silicone uh, tends to have a softer feel. Patients tend to be less aware of them. There's not a sloshing sensation that some patients will complain about with saline. Um, on the other side, if there's a rupture, um, you won't know. I can't tell by exam, you can't tell. So the only way we would know is if you get imaging like an ultrasound, MRI, or mammogram. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at big groups of patients, you know, there's huge populations of patients who've had both because they had, let's say, saline implants in the 90s or early 2000s, and then they've switched. If you ask those patients which they prefer, 99% of patients will tell you they prefer the look and feel of their silicone implants. Would you say, or what would you say would be maybe a few things that a patient should look for or ask a doctor when considering breast augmentation surgery? Well, I think you could divide into two things. So there's things that patients should look for. I think number one is finding a qualified doctor to do their surgery. Yeah. So we always emphasize find a board certified plastic surgeon. Okay. Um, as opposed to, let's say, a cosmetic surgeon. We're, we're trained very differently. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think you wanna find a surgeon who's doing a lot of the procedure that you have in mind. So for example, when I was in training, I trained with one of the most famous facelift surgeons in the country, and that person was exquisitely good at what he did for faces. But that, that surgeon did not do a lot of breast surgery. I would say that a patient would be better served not going to a, a surgeon like that for their breast surgery. Got it. The same way a patient might not see me for their facelift because I don't do a high volume of it. In general, people, the more you do a procedure, the better you tend to be at it. Um, so I'd say find a really well-qualified surgeon. And I imagine that the price varies depending on location. Um, is there like an average that you would say these generally run? That's a hard question to address, I okay. think, because you, you nailed on the head. There's a lot of geographic variability, yeah. but then there's also reputation and skill set variability. So even in an in individual city like LA, you might find people who charge anywhere from $7,000 to $27,000 for breast augmentation. You think, well, how is that possible? And that probably the range of outcomes probably isn't justified by that wide range. Mm -hmm. But you know, people who are six months into practice are gonna end up charging different rates than people who've been doing it for 30 or 40 years. Well, that could be a lot of money for some people. So what kind of financing options do you offer at Cosmeticare? 
Well, care credit's the is the number one, I think, tool that patients use. So, you know, we do find patients, of course, that can come in and they can afford to either write a check or they'll hand us, you know, a, a briefcase full of cash to pay for the surgery. But I would say that that's, I mean, that, that's really uncommon. You might see that on TV, but that's not yeah. what really happens, yeah. right? So mo most patients can't do that. The same way nobody buys a car like that. People finance their cars and they they tend to finance uh, cosmetic surgery. Yeah. Uh, care credit's been a really good tool for our patients. And I think it's, it's great for the cosmetic community. Yeah, it's wonderful that there's these different financing options that can help um, you know, patients maybe get some of these procedures that just help boost their confidence. Yeah, and, and I think eliminating and mitigating that financial barrier is is really helpful, you know, as opposed to telling somebody, well, here's the procedure, and they think I'm going to have to spend 15 years saving the money for that, and then by the time that time point comes, the plan would be very different because they're at a different time point. You know, it allows access, it's broader access for procedures that I think that, you know, that patients perceive that they need at that time. So it's a really, it's a nice yeah, gift to have. wonderful. Yeah. Well, you seem so passionate and knowledgeable about everything you share. I'm curious, what got you into plastic surgery in the first place? Well, I didn't start uh, my journey being interested in plastic surgery. So my father was a general surgeon. Okay. Uh, he started off as a trauma surgeon. And um, so I grew up in an era where uh, we were allowed to go into the operating room. So I started doing cases with him uh, at around 15 or 16 years old. Wow. Uh, we would go in at night and I would hold retractors and assist. You could never do that today. Yeah, um, But, you know, 30 years ago, the rules were a little bit different. Um, and so for me, I, I was able to walk into a room, we would take out somebody's appendix and then you'd go out to the, the waiting area, explain to the family, the patients could be okay and they would hug or say thank you. And I thought, this is amazing. You know, you yeah. can very quickly make a big difference in a patient's life. The patients are grateful for it. Like, what else would I possibly want to do? And I had a father who was really passionate about what he did. Um, so I went to medical school fully expecting to do the same thing. I wanted to be a trauma surgeon first, do the really hard stuff that he had done, take care of gunshots, stabbings, all the really, uh, interesting high pressure cases. Um, but then I went to medical school and I saw my first reconstruction. Uh, it was a breast cancer patient whose breast had to be removed for her cancer. And we took tissue from her belly to rebuild her breast. And we, you have to use a microscope to do that. It's very technically challenging. Um, and rebuilding just resonated more than taking somebody apart. Thank you, doctor. Yeah. So now it's time for something that's a little fun. It's okay. our little rapid fire of um, myth or fact. Okay. okay, so I have three questions for you. So myth or fact, breast implants need to be replaced often. Uh, well, I would say it's a fact, but then with a question mark. So yeah, okay. implants do need to be replaced. There's no question about it. Um, often is a pretty subjective word. So right, yeah. I guess it depends on your perception of what often means. The data shows roughly that about 50% uh, of patients will get 10 years out of their implants, but that means 50% of patients either are keeping them for fewer years or they're keeping them longer. Mm. I've taken implants out that were three years old or three months old that had their first problem, but I've also taken care of patients who had implants in for 42 years. Wow. They didn't necessarily look great 42 years later, but yeah. <laughs> you know, implants don't suddenly become dangerous is the bottom line. Okay, and myth or fact, breast implants make breastfeeding impossible? No, that would be a myth. Okay. So, you know, they've done, numerous studies looking at breastfeeding in general. So a fact that I think a lot of people don't know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of patients who go through just pregnancy who've never had implants who say, I was never told that there was a chance I couldn't breastfeed. Well, there's a whole yeah. host of reasons why people can't. Milk production, milk letdown, latching issues. So they've had studies which show about 70% of women who try to breastfeed, regardless of whether they've had any breast surgery, only 70% can, which means 30% have to bottle feed. And the numbers are almost the same in patients with implants. So. Is it theoretically possible? Yes. Do we see much of a numeric change? Not really. Okay. 
And then the last one, myth or fact, saline implants are just as safe as silicone implants. I think it's fair to say that implants in general have, they basically have the same safety profile. So, you know, whether you're putting in a saline implant or silicone implant, you have to have a shell. The shell is a silicone shell that you either put saline into or the factory, at the factory they, they add the silicone to. Um, you know, the, the, it's something that safety is probably the number one concern for plastic surgeons and, and hopefully physicians of any type. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we never want to subject our patients to something that could cause them harm. Um, I mean, it is surgery. Any surgical procedure could lead to consequences. Um, but the, the question of silicone impl or implant safety in general has been has come up again. It was a big question in the 90s. Um, I think that right now the data shows that implants are safe, but it's something that's constantly being evaluated. So I think at the first sign of, of getting data that says, hey, there's substantial concern for implant safety, you'll see implants come off the market. I don't see that happening, but it's mm -hmm. something that we're, pardon me, actively studying all the time. Got it. Well, Dr. West, thank you so much for just giving us all this information on breast augmentation. I know people are very curious to hear about it and I appreciate all your knowledge. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for watching. All of our featured care experts recommend and accept the Care Credit credit card, which is accepted at hundreds of thousands of provider locations nationwide. For more information, visit carecredit.com. Thanks for joining us on Care Experts with Care Credit. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with friends and family. And stay tuned for new episodes every week. All information, opinions, and recommendations discussed in this episode are for your information only. We believe the information sources are generally reliable, but because of possible human or mechanical error by the sources, Synchrony or its affiliates, including CareCredit, does not provide warranty to the accuracy, quality, or completeness of the information or any results obtained from it. Any statement or opinions in this episode are the doctor's alone, and included data was current to the time of creating this episode. Please consult your own advisors before using any of this information.